0: Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Money Talk with Skylar Fleming. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about some great items around financial self-reliance with Scott LaPierre. We're going to be talking about being unified in a marriage, stewardship, and financial hardships, and spending. Scott has some crazy and awesome stories to share today, so make sure you stick around for the interview. But first, a quick shout out for another five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This one is from Austin J. Fowler. It says, Skylar has genuine conversations with extraordinary guests about practical life lessons. You learn something new in every episode. It's a must listen. And I must say, today's guest is awesome. Scott shares some awesome stories. There's some great takeaways for everybody listening. But the money talking points for today's episode are, how will I handle a financial hardship or issue? And two, where can I find extra money in my regular spending? With the money talking points in mind, let's get right into today's episode. You know, we don't talk about money enough. It's a topic that gets ignored for some reason, even though it plays a role in everyone's day-to-day life. Well, this issue is what brought Money Talk with Skylar Fleming to reality. I know you're probably busy and don't have time to research and learn about all the things that go into personal finance, but that's where this podcast, Money Talk with Skylar Fleming comes into play. I'm your host, Skylar Fleming. I'm here to do the research and learn all the extra stuff about personal finance. The goal is just to simply get us talking about money. So let's get talking. quickly before we get into today's interview, I wanted to define the episode topic and talk about how this can impact you. So financial self-reliance, it's your ability to take care of yourself and your needs without additional financial support from the government or other agencies. That's the definition, but let's get into what it really is. Let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of it real quick, and then we'll talk to Scott. So what is financial self-reliance? What's the impact on you? Well, self-reliance to me, it can be life-changing. It allows you to live a way more, much more free life. I call it financial self-reliance is really the first stage to financial independence. You aren't completely independent from a job and such, and you're not completely living off of maybe the money that your money's making you but you are independent from the financial support of others. So financial self-reliance is really such a first key step that you have to take in order to even begin your journey to financial independence. And there's a lot of great ways you can use and implement financial self-reliance. Let's talk about a few of those next. So Scott and I here in just a moment are going to get into some of the reasons and purposes behind some of more of these specific things individually and some great stories are going to be shared. But real quick, how do you implement financial self-reliance? Well, stewardship is the idea of looking at it as if your resources are something that you're given and that you have the opportunity to manage. Being unified in your approach is essential for financial self-reliance. If you're in a marriage, it's absolutely critical. Tithing or giving money away, it's very important for many people. It's important to help people, whether it's giving charities, it shows you're willing to sacrifice and that you're willing to give up some of what comes your way in order to help out. But donating or giving money can be an awesome thing. It can be something that helps your community, helps you grow, helps you see outside of your little circle, be something really to consider. Creating a budget, this is foundational to financial self-reliance. It's foundational because how are you gonna be self-reliant with your money if you don't really know where your money's going? So it's something really you gotta consider. And sticking to a budget can be tricky. You should give yourself three months at least, and don't expect to be 100% perfect on your budget during that three months, or even thereafter. You're always gonna have little hiccups, little bumps in the road when it comes to sticking to your budget. Hardship. Another thing you have to consider before you would say you're financially self-reliant. You need to have emergency funds in place and you need to understand debt, how to get out of debt if you're in debt, how to manage a financial crisis. Those sort of things can all really go hand in hand because if you're buried in debt, it can be really hard to manage your life during a hardship. And we'll hear from Scott about how financial hardships can cause anxiety in so many other ways to be amplified and compound. But once you're financially self-reliant, you can start looking at things like investing. It's not a foundational principle, but it's something that all your hard work is going to lead you to. Then you're going to be able to give and help others and help leave a legacy and help future generations. And that's really the quick path of how financial self-reliance can be done. Some of the things to look at and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Of course, my email and contact information Is in the show notes. But next, let's get into our interview with Scott Lapierre. Welcome, everybody, to today's interview with Scott Lapierre. We are here today talking about maybe some financial self reliance, some things about the importance of being unified in a marriage. And we have a lot of great questions today. Scott, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to everyone?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show, Skylar. So, my name is Scott Lapierre, I'm a pastor in Southwest Washington. We've been here since 2010. My wife and I grew up together in uh, Northern California. We're expecting our 10th child in October. And I started I read my sermons out pretty thoroughly. So I started turning the manuscripts from those sermons into uh, books a few years ago.
0: Awesome. Sounds like you're just you're repurposing all your knowledge and just helping share it in new ways.
1: Hoping to do so, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, let's keep repurposing it here today. We're going to be talking about money, which is a fun conversation for me. That's what my whole podcast is about. So I'm always excited to bring people in from different areas. So you have much more of a religious background in your setting, but let's talk about money in a marriage. Why is it important to be unified in a marriage when it comes to money?
1: Yeah, I went to Guess This, Skylar, before I started pastoring, but much of the counseling, marriage counseling I was doing, ended up being financial counseling. Finances is usually one of the most common problems within marriages, along with parenting and, and in-laws. And so I published a marriage book. So my finance book is Your Finances God's Way. And my marriage book is your marriage God's way. That's kind of my brand God's way. And they have a quite a relationship actually because I wanted to see strong, healthy marriages in my church, and so I preached on marriage, and then that led into the sermons on finances, which then became my my finance books. But I only, I don't really have the bandwidth to preach separately or to write separately for my preaching ministry, and so I preached to help equip the individuals in my church. And so the point is, I saw the need for financial equipping that led to those those sermons
0: awesome and i can imagine like you said in your introduction you guys are expecting your 10th kid what would that be like if you weren't unified like i can i'm just i'm assuming but like especially when it comes to money money could be a really hard conversation for you and your wife how how has money impacted your marriage
1: yeah well that's interesting katie and i got married and had had quite a background having grown up together and probably like most people when they get married believe that they're going to be the first, you know, couple that never has any marriage problems, right? You know, we all we all go in very naively like that. And there were all these ways that Katie and I were compatible. You know, I had kind of my list of, of requirements or essentials or deal breakers, you might say, and they were pretty substantial ones like be a pastor's wife, want to homeschool, uh, let God plan our family or give us the kids he wanted. And it's like, Katie just meets all these requirements. So I'm thinking that Boy, we're, this is going to be great. And actually, Skylar, the main difference, which never came up in premarital counseling, and we didn't really see it when we were engaged, was finances. We could not be further apart on the spectrum. And so what happened was Katie grew up and her father was a farmer. So he always had like thousands of dollars coming in and going out and he never thought anything about like giving his kids hundreds of dollars here, hundreds of dollars there. And I'm living where I'm trying to save like five, 10 bucks when I can as a, you know, a school single income school teacher and and now a pastor. And that was our first huge fight was over finances when Katie wanted to buy something and I didn't want her to buy it. And it was like, you know, what's going on? I didn't know you felt this way. And she was kind of like, I didn't know you would, whatever she thought maybe be so, I don't know if she frugal sounds positive. She probably thought cheapskate or tight water or something like that. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, that's funny. That's crazy to hear. I think, like you said, marriage and money are so intertwined. Like it's so common that that's the issue that people have in their marriage, whether it's a small fight, a big fight, or just like a lasting issue. I think it's gonna to touch everyone's marriage in some way, and that's why it's so important to get out in front of it. And like you said, you you didn't quite understand how you both had that relationship with money. It was the same way with my wife and I. She came from a family that was very adverse to debt, but also had some uh, relationships with money built up from her childhood, and mine were completely different. So when we came together, I'm like trying to track every single dollar, I'm trying to make sure everything is like finally managed and everything. And she's like, I just want to feel like I have some control over the money. And I was like, I'm not I didn't feel like I was taking control from her and I wasn't necessarily. But she voiced that and that helped us clear up a lot of like future issues is just making sure like, hey, here's still your control. You can view everything. You have ways to spend money if you need it. So, yeah, being unified is important just right out the gate. But
1: one of the other things I would just say is even if you are on the same page maritally, Like you view purchases and debt and spending the same way. When there's financial problems, the anxiety and stress causes marriage problems. And so what I mean by that is if there's a bill that can't be paid, or you're falling, you're falling behind on bills, or imagine a couple thinks they're going to lose their home, well, they're suddenly their marriage is flooded with anxiety and they take it out, tend to take it out on each other. And so few things, even when a husband and wife are compatible cause as much problem in marriage as finances because of the anxiety that financial problems can cause people
0: yeah i can imagine i'm thankful for your experience on this issue too like you said most of your marriage conversations and counseling revolves around money so i'm sure you've seen that in a lot of people's life where you're like this isn't maybe that big of an issue but it compounds with other anxieties and uh maybe vulnerabilities and things like that and it all builds and builds but when we're unified we can take those financial struggles or those hardships cuz they will happen and we can approach them together in a marriage and we can approach them like on a united front and i think that's going to help alleviate a lot of that like back end compounding anxiety that you're talking about. Awesome. That's wow, we're off to a great start. I love that. What a great conversation about money and marriage. That's that's such an important topic. Like everyone that one can tend to be one of the biggest is like talking about money in a marriage. But let's talk about being a steward over our money. So from a religious perspective, a common viewpoint is that we're blessed with this money and these resources from God, and we have to be a good steward over that. So when we're being self-reliant and we're managing our money in a way that we're being a good steward over it, maybe what's the meaning behind that or the meaning to you behind being a good steward over what we're given?
1: Well, Skylar, that was a great explanation that you just gave there concisely, I'd say. And I think one of the main things I try to encourage people to see, which can be a paradigm shift is that regarding stewardship, whether finances or any area of life? A steward doesn't own anything. He's essentially a manager. He's responsible for somebody else's assets. That's what we see in scripture when we see, like, the parable of the good steward or the bad steward. We're seeing, in, or, you know, uh, the parable of the talents, the parable of the minus. All of these parables deal with stewardship. And the idea is that everything we have in life is a stewardship, you know, the time we have. God has given all of us some number of years. My marriage is a stewardship. My wife doesn't belong to me. God expects me to care for her. My children, this is a stewardship. My house, my, my uh, vehicles. And so finances is a major stewardship. And one of the reasons I encourage people to recognize that money is a stewardship is because then, like, let's say giving is difficult. Well, now you're not giving away your money. You're giving God's money, right? So giving's difficult for many of us. And so you're, you're holding it tightly. You don't want to give to the church. Well, now you recognize I'm not really giving my money away. I'm giving away God's money. Well, the other thing is that causes us to spend money differently because now it's not my money that I'm wasting. It would be God's money. It's not my money that I'm spending on something immorally, like maybe getting drunk at a bar, or visiting this strip club, or something along those lines, or going to watch this movie I shouldn't watch. Now it would be God's money that I'm wasting on something immoral. And so all these things cause us to handle money in a way that it begs the question: What does God think about this purchase? What is one? One. one I think it was Randy Alcorn is the one who said like every cent we spend is a spiritual decision, and so. That's a that's a good way to look at it. Whatever we do with our money, we're actually is a very spiritual matter.
0: Yeah, we're making decisions in that spiritual sense. I like that. And I think also from uh, from multiple viewpoints, financial self-reliance is important on both a spiritual level and not. So like if you're someone who maybe doesn't go to church regularly and things like that or doesn't believe in a God, but you could look at this is a resource for my family. This is a resource for my future. When you think of things like retirement, which allows you to shift that perspective, like you said, when you're looking at things as if it's God's money and God's resources, you can say, yeah, let's not spend this in that more way. Like you said, it doesn't align with our values when we're at church. But if you're looking at it in terms of a resource for your family, you're saying, is this going to better my family? Is this going to get us to those goals that we have? Is this going to keep us out of debt? Is this going to help us progress? So I think... Yeah, that resource, I think we, we led right into the third question, which is how can viewing money as a resource that we're given to help us manage it better? And I think that's just because we're it's a new perspective. We're not looking at it as if it's ours to only gain from kind of thing. It's something that we like share with other people and use for others benefit.
1: Yeah, I'm not super familiar with lots of atheists or agnostics. I mean, most of my life as a pastor is spent with Christians. I'm not even out in the workplace, you know, with with uh, uh, unbelievers, since my workplace is with believers. But I would like to think that even atheists or agnostics, now I would argue that God is the one who has given them this burden or love for their spouse or for their children. They would obviously deny that. But even atheists and agnostics can be very altruistic people. No atheist or agnostic you know, doesn't care if something bad happens to his wife or, or her husband or, or their, their children, even the staunchest atheists still love and care for their children. And so because of that, they're going to be wanting to steward their money or use it hopefully in a way that prepares the future for their children or their grandchildren. Um, and many, many atheists or agnostics can be generous. And uh, so there's still that, I, and I would argue that God's the one that's given them that conscience to do those things but there's still that burden to handle it in a way that's not entirely selfish
0: yeah there's definitely when you look at money from a unselfish point of view that's when that that love and that care for the future and for others really helps you allows you to manage it in the right way where you're not using it for selfish like selfish indulgent reasons things like that but let's turn our perspective towards hardships whether it's in a marriage whether it's some sort of financial hardship financial argument or a financial trial, as in like someone's car breaks down, something like that can be a big deal financially for a family. How do we or how can we prepare for financial trials or hardships that we might face?
1: Yeah, because we don't know when these things are going to happen, then we've got to keep some amount of money saved up. And, and in, in my book, uh, Your finances, is God's Way, I talk about how few Americans, because we're such a kind of debt driven or credit driven society, and that would be a whole other conversation about debt. And it's not to say that I'm Opposed to all debt or anything, but because many you can have Mac, Chris, or Americans, but I suppose Christians too maxing their credit cards. Well, one of the things that I read is that most Americans couldn't go, you know, but six weeks if they didn't get their next paycheck, and so that tells you that we're not. I mean, you should have let's say six months worth of savings, and so with people only having six weeks on average, which means there are some people with even less than that, they're not going to be prepared probably for even some of the smaller, uh, accidents, tragedies that can occur, whether it's a job loss, whether it's the diagnosis and the medical bills start piling up, whether you mentioned the vehicle, I mean, vehicles can, we, we had our van stolen, you know, wake up this one morning and it it was a 15 passenger, um, Ford van, which I guess I learned later after mine was stolen are commonly stolen vehicles. And (laughs) so we kind of learned that the hard ways. And so we wake up and I'm looking out the, you know, front window where our van's always parked. And I just assume maybe my wife put it around the corner. I ask her and it's like, neither, you know, we're the only drivers in the family at this time. So, you know, it wasn't lost. Turns out it was stolen. So now we've got to figure out what we're going to do. And we can't all fit in the um, you know, our our car. So anyway, I'm I'm familiar with those sorts of situations that can that can happen like that in a single income family with a, a lot of kids. And so we have to try to save up money too. And so I would just say that the Bible discusses the, you know, the ant and his wis- the ants wisdom. It kind of contrasts foolish humans with wise ants, you might say. And ants store up, they save, they prepare for the future is the idea. And so you have some some animals or insects that are behaving wiser than <laughs> you might say some people so that's just the, the simple answer is to save up some number of months and uh and i know nobody likes that i mean i was telling one of my kids today because this is one of the things i would say whether you're, you're you know you're a christian or not you want to teach your children wise financial principles and typically they're not learning these things in school i know i didn't and so you if you want your children to learn wisdom financially Then you need to make sure you involve them in your decision making, and and I mean, how many people get out of high school or even college, and then that's like they're thrown into this world of finances that they have little familiarity with. And so I was talking to one of my kids today, and I told him that my savings account last year made like four dollars eleven cents or something ridiculously low like that. You know, letting my so my whole point is, I know none of us want to keep money in savings, so there's this tension. At least if we have a desire to see our wealth grow which most of us do putting your money in savings is not is not a super great situation especially with the interest rates for them being so low so i see the tension between saving up tens of thousands of dollars that just sits there versus being able to invest that so that wealth grows
0: yeah that was that's a crazy story cuz you're saying you have you have nine kids right now 10 a 10th on the way i can't imagine like that van that can fit everyone is probably like uh vital to your <laughs> yeah. family getting around like like what do you you have to take three cars and help, <laughs> yeah. help one of the young, oldest ones can learn to drive uh, yeah quick. and like, we didn't have
1: another vehicle we just have those two vehicles i think someone in the church let us borrow borrow a van for a bit
0: i can't imagine that but like those sort of things like you guys were prepared for that unexpected event and like you were saying i want to go back to the point about how most people don't have enough savings for six weeks you said i saw a stat today that said I think it was like 36 percent of people have more in credit card debt than they do in savings like that. That's mind blowing to me. Like, I can't imagine the pressure that that puts on people to have like a situation like that where you don't even have one paycheck's worth in savings and things like that. As I say, something comes along and whether it's something big, like something getting stolen. But even when you have that little bit, it can be something tiny like your TV breaking, that's now this big emergency that's causing anxiety in your marriage. And then all these other things boil over because of such little savings and preparedness.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a fan. I think the only debt that's reasonable would be like for a home, a mortgage, or maybe an investment property, not a fan of, you know, pay off all your credit cards, pay off automobiles, pay off college debt. I don't really see any of those as being acceptable or, or uh, beneficial. But if the nice thing is, if you're living that way, and then there's a disaster, you actually can have tens of thousands of dollars, like we have two credit cards, and between those, we have tens of thousands, or and it's not tens of thousands, that might be an exaggeration, but we've got a lot we could if we had to put on our credit card. So my point is, if you are living well financially, you're going to have a very high credit rating, credit score, and that's going to allow you, that's one other way, I guess, if I circle back to your question, how to prepare for those financial problems. Well. Of course, you don't want to have to put them on a credit card. But if you're doing well, being responsible financially, then you can have a high enough credit score that you have a large amount of credit available to cover something like that if it does occur.
0: Yeah, that's one of the conversations my wife and I have. It's like our emergency fund, we keep it a little leaner right now. We're young with no kids. We can afford to do that right now. But I've also said when we're moving money around, if we need to, we have enough credit card availability. Like you said, we put it on there. That gives us at least a month before about a month before the bills do to find the money to maybe we have a really small budget one month because we're paying that off. Like you get so much flexibility when you start practicing some simple steps and some simple things to build your savings, get out of credit card debt, be prepared for that little thing that comes along. And then I always like to say when you have even a small emergency fund, it turns most emergencies into a slight inconvenience (laughs) because it's just you just knock it out and you're done with it. It's way easier. Uh Well, let's let's talk about your book a little bit how can your book help people with their money? Maybe what's one of your favorite chapters or favorite topics you talk about in the book?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think one of the main, it's probably actually about uh, spending problems we have. And so this would have application for your listeners that are not Christians. I, there is, you know, parts of the book that obviously have more application for Christians since it's a Christian book, but there's plenty of plenty of content that would be, you know, beneficial for anyone. And so there's an entire chapter about this kind of, let's say, dedicated to Americans. It's about how we don't have an income problem. Typically, we have spending problems. And I say that because if you live in the United States, then you know no offense to your listeners, and there could be some exceptions, but we are the wealthiest people throughout all of the world and throughout human history. And so rare is the couple who has an income problem. Most of the problems that I counsel can be accomplished through improved spending. So what we have is we have, we don't have an income problem, singular, we have spending problems, plural. And so in that chapter, I like to talk about the most common spending problems that I see people experience. And I wrote about those and how we can, we can try to avoid those.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. One of the things I like to talk about with spending is that a first step to really change that problem is just track it. Because I remember this is, this is how much I love money and stuff. I was in like high school as a senior in high school and I started to track my expenses. And then I texted all my friends and said, guys, you won't believe how much money I spent last month on eating out. It was like several hundred dollars. And I'm like, I don't really like, it was crazy for someone my age. I wasn't making that much per paycheck. So I saw that and I was like, wow, that's money that could easily go towards something that I enjoy more than eating out. So if you start tracking it.
1: Yeah. And that's why whenever people come in for receive counseling for finan- financial counseling, at least, I instruct them to bring in the last few months of their accounts to see their spending. Because what happens if we use round numbers is let's say you've got a couple and they make $8,000 per month between the two of them. And they're looking at their finances and they come in and sit across from me and they say, okay, well, you know, our our mortgage payment is, uh, let's say $4,000. The payments for our vehicles is $2,000 you know that's only $6,000 we should have $2,000 here extra and we're and we understand there's a few expenses water electricity and so forth but even if that was $1,000 we should have $1,000 left over each month and they're like we're barely making it well where does that where does that $1,000 go it goes toward eating out starbucks the extra extra items at target and so that's one of the when i have a whole section on small purchases that add up and the reason that that easily eats into our finances you know as you know skylar is that you can make those purchases much easier it's a lot easier to spend 20 bucks or 40 bucks than to spend a 1000 or 10000 and so people can throw down you know 20 bucks here or 50 bucks here and not even keep track of it or think much about it and so those small purchases really add up one of the other common spending problems that i've noticed people have and we've we've had this problem uh, ourselves is what I call worthless purchases and when I say that I don't mean the value the item itself is necessarily worthless I mean it's worthless to the person who bought it so in other words if you bought it and it just sat on the shelf or you bought it and you just hung it up in your closet and never wore it or you know or you bought it and then forgot about it and then when you moved out of the house found this item that you bought that you never used then that's been a worthless purchase for you and many of us have, Many worthless purchases that we've made, and all those add up. And so it's that extra item that's purchased at Target or the you know the extra items at Walmart. And so the other thing about that is uh, this would be another discussion is kind of the anxiety that's caused by stuff in general. You have to organize it, keep track of it, you know, tidy it up. I'm not saying we're, we're you don't even have to be a hoarder to have this problem, but kind of a minimalist approach where you have less stuff, which we definitely have to work on as a family with 9, you know, uh, 11 with a twelfth person on the way and we don't live in a mansion is we'd be buried if we all had tons of stuff. And so that's one of the other advantages of not buying lots of stuff is that you don't have to keep track of your stuff doesn't start owning you. Your possessions don't start possessing you. And so, yeah, you've got small purchases to add up. You've got um, worthless purchases. I really try to talk to people about patience and the benefit of, of waiting before making purchases Many of the people I've spoken to who've regretted certain purchases experience that regret within the first two weeks. So that's why I commonly tell people before a major purchase, wait at least two weeks, in many cases, preferably four weeks before making that purchase. And that will give you that window to determine whether you really should buy it or not. And many people don't even have to go two weeks. They make it like a few days or one week and they're like, you know, thank God I didn't, I didn't buy that thing. I was thinking about buying. And the other nice thing about that window of time that you're waiting to buy something is it allows you to do the other thing that I always prescribe, which is research. There are, you know, there are good deals out there for people to find, but you're never going to know if you, if this is a good deal, if you haven't done the research you need.
0: Yeah. That, that, wow. That was interesting. Yeah. Spending, I think is really everyone's first starting point. It's such a great place to start. You're going to find some money you didn't know you had because you're just going to realize, wow, where was all that money going? I love. I just love all those tips. That was fantastic. We might need to do a second part on just about spending because I think we could really dive into that topic. But Scott, this has been fantastic. I've had this has been a great conversation. I think everyone listening will take a lot away from this one. So. How do people learn more about you? How do they connect? Read your book? All that sort of fun stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, well thanks for asking, Tyler. So my, my website's pretty much the hub, you know. Uh, all the spokes go out from there to to like my YouTube channel or to my books on Amazon and so my website is scottlapierre.org, just S C O T T L A P I E R R E.org and you'll you'll put that on the show notes. And people can go there and they can find my books or the links to them on Amazon, um, and my social media profiles. And then on my website, there's a contact page. If people have any questions, they can re- you know, reach me through the contact page. And then I know not all your listeners might be Christians, but my I kind of shared earlier, my first book was about marriage, Your Marriage God's Way. And I have a free gift for your listeners. It's a, it's a Christian marriage book. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for marriage and that'd be a free gift for any of your listeners to download um just hoping i can strengthen marriage and you know point point people toward christ and people can get that for free if they go to my website
0: fantastic awesome sounds like you have some good work going on both in the marriage realm and in the finance realm so yeah thank you so much for coming on this has been fun and we'll have to catch up again
1: all right sounds good god bless you and your listeners scholar thanks a lot
0: Thank you so much to Scott for coming on today's episode. Like we mentioned throughout the show, any links that he mentioned or I mentioned are all found in the show notes. So thank you again for coming on today's episode, Scott. And thank you for everybody for listening. We're cruising towards 100 episodes because guess what? 100 is our next episode. And I'm gonna be sharing some exciting announcements, some exciting information, some great things that have been learned over 100 episodes of podcasting. It's gonna be a fun one. So make sure to stick around and share with a friend. But thank you for listening to Money Talk with Skylar Fleming. I'm your host, Skylar Fleming. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Skylar Fleming. This show is provided for informational and entertainment purposes and may not be specific to your unique situation. Please be sure to do additional research before making any financial decisions.